This morning we um, we started with uh, space, and he said that space is not uh, unconditioned dharma. That is a statement that can uh, provoke a lot of uh, argumentation or discussion. But the purpose of a statement is not to to describe reality, uh, to promote a kind of truth. In the Buddhist tradition, when you make a statement, that statement should be helpful. It can help uh, you transform. It can help uh, liberate you. And if a statement does not have that capacity to transform and to help, it's better not to make it, to make the statement at all. So a statement in the context of Buddhism does not have the intention to present the truth at itself, does not have the intention of uh, describing the truth. But the statement is only to help, to help uh, liberate, to help transform. Because the person you talk to may be caught in something, in some idea, in some belief, in some uh, prejudices in some form of uh, afflictions. So when you make a statement, that statement should have the function of helping him or her to get out of that kind of, uh, of uh, state of being. So it should have the power to liberate and uh, to heal. That is why Buddhism is not a uh, philosophical philosophical uh, system. Please come. Pháp An, come in. If the other person is caught in a statement, he or she does not get enlightenment. He does not uh, got the liberation. He does not uh, get the healing. So be sure that you say something that something could not be an obstacle for him or for her. Say something with intelligence, with skillfulness, so that the person can get out of that uh, state of being caught. Because this morning we see, we have seen very well that that was a statement to help you to to overcome the idea that. Uh, it is a unconditioned dharma. And the statement seems to say that space is a conditioned dharma. <laughs> but if you think like that, you, 
you missed everything. If after having heard that uh, space is not an unconditioned Dhamma and you are caught in the idea that space is a conditioned Dhamma, uh, you are caught. Intention of uh, the one who makes the statement is not uh, to get you out of a prison in order to put you into another prison. And that is why when we come to the second statement, we see that the second statement denies the first statement. The second statement is said that as far as the historical dimension is concerned, every Dharma is conditioned. Conditioned Dharma. But as far as the ultimate dimension is concerned, all dhammas are unconditioned. So here, in the first instance, we say that space is a conditioned dhamma. In the second statement, we say that it is an unconditioned dhamma. So you see the nature of dialectics in the Buddhist uh, thinking, the Buddhist um, vision of reality. And if you miss that uh, nature of dialectics, you miss everything. So any statement made by the Buddha should be understood in that spirit in order for you to get the essence and not to get caught in the form of uh, the teaching, the form of uh, the statement. Because the Buddha said that uh, you you should not be caught. by the Dharma, in a Dharma. Not to say that you should not be caught in a non-Dharma. What is not a Dharma, you should not be caught in it. Không được kẹt vào cái phi pháp, cái không phải pháp. Nhưng mà cũng không được kẹt vào cái pháp. Pháp is the Dharma. Phi Pháp is the non-Dharma. Of course, you should not be caught by the non-Dharma. But you should not be caught by the Dharma either. So that is the spirit of Buddhism, transcending notions, transcending words. And that's uh, the foundation of Zen. Zen Buddhism is free from, from notions, from uh, statements. And there is a tendency not to believe in the statements, not to believe in the notions, and to discard, disregard everything. But that is also an extreme. Because if you are a free person, if you are a skillful person, you might still use your notions and your words And because you are free from them, that is why you can 
maneuver them in such a way that can help you to, to convey your wisdom, to convey your insight. And if you are a listener, and if you have enough wisdom, you will not be caught in what is being said. You get the essence, you get the wisdom, and you are not caught in what is being said. So when we talk, we should talk in such a way that help the other person not to get caught in what you what you in not not get caught in the idea, in the words, in the notion that you are using in order to convey your wisdom. So this is seen very clearly uh, in the, the two uh, uh, theses that I presented to you this morning. In the first thesis, it is said that uh, space is not an unconditioned Dharma, as many people have said. It means that it is a conditioned Dharma. But in the second statement, when you overcome that, and you get free. The Buddha spoke about impermanence, non-self, and nirvana. And impermanence, non-self, and nirvana are skillful means in order to help you to transcend, to get out of the notion of permanence, of self, of birth and death. But if you are caught in the notion of uh, impermanence, if you are caught in the notion of non-self, if you are caught in the notion of nirvana, well, you come from one prison to another prison. And that is why the non-dharma, you should be free from it. And the dharma, you should also be free from it. That is the teaching of Buddha. Is there any Buddhist um, fundamentalism? Yes. There are those of us who withhold the teaching in such a way that can betray the spirit of the Buddha. We are presenting the teaching in such a way that the teaching becomes a prison. We are, we are absolutizing uh, nirvana, uh, impermanence, non-self. 
we become very dogmatic in our way of uh, presenting the Dharma and practicing the Dharma. And uh, we, are, we are really caught in the Dharma. And we cannot uh, embody the true teaching of the Buddha, which is free from dogmas. There are those in Christianity who believe that uh, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, if you don't believe in uh, the teaching of the church, You are going to hell, all of you, whether you are Buddhist or Muslim or communist. And they really believe that, uh, that uh, those who do not uh, have uh, the kind of their belief, the belief they have, uh, like we ourselves, we go to hell. And they believe it very strongly. And they believe that we are the enemy of God the enemy of Jesus. And that is enough for us to go to hell. And that the, the, the teaching of the fundamentalist. And they play a very important role in politics now. In America, there has been talking about uh, Intelligent design. Have you heard of it? The idea is that when we observe reality, we observe the world, we see intelligence. When we observe the chrysanthemum, we see that there is intelligence inside. When we observe the human body, we see intelligence. So there must be someone with his or her intelligence that has designed the world as it is. So the president of uh, the United States of America is for, for that intelligent design, a kind of theology. And the tendency is to affirm, to confirm the existence of God as uh, the creator, and that is a creationism. And that is what the fundamentalists want to proclaim and those who don't believe in intelligent um, design, in the, the creation of the world by a God, they all have to go to hell. They are going to hell, all of them. And that is why in order to help them uh, not to suffer, not to go to hell, well, you should do everything in order to for them to embrace uh, that kind of belief. 
and there is a strong tendency to oppose that kind of attitude of belief. And there are those who uh, who believe in Darwin, biological um, evolution. They don't believe that God has created man the way that is described in the God, in the Bible. When they study the story of uh, life, they see that man is a very young species on earth, the youngest. And uh, if they look at the story of uh, biological uh, evolution, they see that uh, humans are very young as a species. In the beginning, there was uh, uh, monocellular beings born in the water. And from that, we have other uh, kind of uh, living beings that are more complex. The human body is uh, one of the most complex uh, organism and that is uh, the theory of uh, biological evolution according to that uh, theory of biological evolution well life is a history the theory the history of life is a history of uh, struggle to survive you do everything to survive and those of you who who are weak do not have the strength in order to to strive, then you have to to disappear. So if you are strong, you survive. You are not strong enough, you disappear. That is one aspect of uh, the teaching. Biological evolution. There is no mercy. There is no compassion. And life sounds like. Um, uh, um, a struggle without mercy, without compassion. The stronger survive, the weaker will have to die. And during the process of struggling in order to survive like that, a lot of suffering happened. And in the light of uh, the teaching of evolution, you should be strong. You should not be weak. If you show that you are weak, if you behave uh, like a weak uh, creature, uh, you will have no place on the earth. So you have to be strong, even if you have to kill, even if you have to destroy. Karl Marx has said something like the history of man is a history of class struggle. 
That's the only thing that is going on, that has been going on. And in order to struggle against the other class, you have to be strong, you have to kill. You have to force the other person into a position where he or they cannot do anything to you. But when we observe uh, more closely, we see another aspect that is much more pleasant. After having lived separately as uh, monocellular uh, beings for many many trillions of years, the unicellular beings began to come together and form a loose community organism. And they find it uh, very helpful. They don't have to spend too much energy because they come together. And they learn to live together. And the history of uh, life you see the you see the the phenomenon of uh, symbiosis and one living one kind of living being relied on the presence of another living being in order to get strong and when we look at the human body we see uh, human cells but if you look deeply, we see that in the human body, there are many, many non-human cells. And if you have the time to count, you might find out that the non-human cells are more numerous than the human cells in our body. The, the number of human cells in our body is about 50 trillion. But the number of non-human cells may exceed that kind, that number. And uh, the human body hosts host many kind of uh, bodies inside. And we need them also, like the intestinal floor, bacteria, bacteria in, in, in the intestinal tracts. Many of them are very helpful. If you use antibiotics uh, for 10 days, you kill all all of them, and you may be in trouble. So you should allow uh, these bacteria to to be reborn, and you can help uh, bringing back the intestinal flora into your intestine. You are you need them. And looking deeply into every cell of our body, we see. Mitochondria, and uh, if they are not there in every cell of our body, we will not have any energy. If I can raise my hand, my arm like this, because uh, the presence of uh, mitochondria in Vietnamese is called T uh, T or T lap 
and they have, they, they are beings in their own right. They have a different DNA than ours. And that is why um, living beings have learned to come together, to live together. Living beings are capable of realizing uh, the truth of interbeing. They are capable of coming together. They are, com- they are capable of seeing that they need each other. So the other side, on the other side, we see that living beings have to kill each other in order to survive, to be stronger than others to survive. But on this side, we see that living beings are capable of seeing that they need each other. And it, if they know how to come together, uh, they have a sense to survive and to suffer less. So in the heart of uh, reality, there is um, cruelty, there is a violence, there is struggles for survival. But in the heart of reality, there is also wisdom, compassion, togetherness. And that is uh, at the bottom, at the foundation of reality. Our immune system sometimes works very well. It is capable of uh, protecting us. And uh, every time there is a foreign body penetrating into the body, they are capable of recognizing them and neutralize them. So there is intelligence. There is a consciousness in the cells of our body. They recognize the cells that make up the community, the body. And they recognize that uh, the cells and the living beings were intruders who uh, were a threat the survival of the body. But sometimes our immune system does not work well. Sometimes the immune uh, cells turn against the cell of the body and attack the cells of the body. Like in the case of diabetes. They attack the cells in the pancreas that has uh, the duty of uh, creating uh, insulin. And these cells die, and because of that, the body is not capable anymore to create uh, insulin. So there is uh, ignorance, wrong perception in our body, in the cell of our body. 
when looking deeply into every cell of our body, we see intelligence. We see awakening. We see um, inter, uh, the awareness of uh, interbeing. But when looking more, we can see that there is a deceit of uh, misunderstanding, wrong perceptions, violence, also in every cell. And when you learn about the mind, according to the Buddha's teaching, you see that uh, Alaya Vishnana, the store consciousness, contains seeds of wisdom, compassion, understanding, interbeing. But uh, Alaya Vishnana also contains the seed of uh, ignorance, discrimination, violence. That is why when we learn the art of Sangha building, we can profit a lot from our understanding of how uh, our organism is organized. Because there is a lot of intelligence in our body, in ourselves. But sometimes there is a lot of ignorance, discrimination, wrong perception also. And if you are able to see both aspects, and then we should be able to learn and to do better. You can learn a lot from nature. You can imitate nature. But you can do better. Because nature, according to the Buddha's teaching, is the outcome, is the manifestation of our consciousness, is the outcome of our action, our karma. Every thought that we produce is karma, is ngip. Everything we say is a karma, is ngip. Everything we do is karma, is action, is ngip. And the karma can be wholesome and unwholesome. There can be ignorance in the way we think, we say, and we act. There can be wisdom and compassion in what we think, in what we do, in what we say. And nothing is lost. When we produce uh, the karma in the form of uh, thinking, speaking, and acting, 
the result can be seen in the retribution. Retribution is bound. Karma is gap. Retribution is bound. Gap bound. And according to the Buddhist teaching, your body, the five uh, aggregate, the five skandhas you got, is the retribution of your former karma of yesterday, before yesterday, or even before the day before yesterday, your former life, and the life before your former life. And your former life, you can see at least in your father and your mother, that's your former life, one of your former lives. In Vietnamese, it's a cha ăn mặn, con khát nước. The father eats so much salt, salty things, and that is why the son has to drink a lot of water. <laughs> so our father and mother is kind of our former life also. We are their continuation. Whatever they thought, they did, and uh, they spoke, or can be seen in us. That's the retribution. But according to the teaching of the Buddha, the retribution is not just you, but also your environment. And many people forget that. You think that this body, this feeling, these perceptions are you, but you are also your environment. You have the notion of Chánh uh, Báo, the central retribution. Which can be seen as your body. And uh, retribution is of two f- is a twofold. That is e bao also. E means uh, uh, the environment, uh, the uh, the base. So if we use, if, if we are to use the word that people use today, the chánh báo is nature, tiên thiên. And about is nurture the environment. And both nature and nurture is the retribution of your act, of your karma in the past. By thinking, by speaking, by acting, you create your own person and your own environment. So you are responsible for your environment. You cannot say that because uh, that environment, I suffer. Because the environment is you. 
and the notion that uh, you are the victim of the environment does not correspond to the truth because the environment is also you. There's a degree of uh, collectivity in this aspect of uh, retribution. There's also a degree of uh, collectivity in this uh, aspect of retribution. And that is something you have to, we have to look deeply to recognize. What you be, believe to be individual, private, can be collective. Can be very collective. Suppose you think of your uh, optic nerves. You believe that your optic nerves only have to do with you. It does not uh, it doesn't concern other people. If uh, you don't have good uh, optic nerves and then you suffer, you cannot uh, read books very well, you cannot see things very well, and you suffer. And you think that your optic nerve is uh, something strictly individual belong to you. But in Buddhist teaching, nothing is individual. There is a degree of collectivity in everything. Suppose you are a bus driver and your optic nerves do not concern you only. You the life of many people who sit on the bus will rely on your optic nerves. So your optic nerve is a collective thing. So you're suffering your happiness. You think that uh, that is a private thing for you. But no, you're suffering your happiness. Affect the people in the Sangha. Affect the people in the society. You are responsible for the happiness and the suffering of the society. So when you take care of yourself and suffer less, you're helping society. And when you take care of society, for society to suffer less, you are taking care of yourself. And therefore, in the Buddhist teaching, nothing is completely individual, and nothing is completely collective. There are several levels, degrees, and this is something to look uh, deeply. If uh, you are politically on the left, it 
if you are culturally on the left. And then you may have seen that uh, the dogmatic, the fundamentalist attitude has created a lot of suffering. You want to be free. You want to be rational. You want to be scientific. You don't want to be dogmatic. You want to fight fundamentalism. And the history of uh, civilization can be described as a history of a struggle between the dogma, dogmatic attitude and the liberal attitude. If you are a Buddhist, if you like the Buddha, you are supposed to be on the liberal side. But unfortunately, many of us are not really on the liberal side. We are dogmatic. We are the fundamentalist. We are not helping the cause of Buddhism the cause of freedom of thinking in the way we teach, in the way we practice. Scientists, because of their discoveries, have been condemned even to death by the church, by the dogmatic uh, wing. Buddhism should be scientific in its way of practice. Buddhism should be free from dogmatism. One day, a young and a group of young people came to the Buddha. to visit him, because Buddha was uh, visiting the area. And they complained to the Buddha that uh, many teachers have uh, passed by, and all of them said that uh, we should follow them because they have the truth. to have the idea of the Buddha, the Kalamas. Kalamas is um, <coughs> number, uh, the name of, uh, of uh,
population living in that area. And the Kalama young people come to the Buddha and ask the question, dear teacher, many people have come to here and they have contended that the teaching is true, is the absolute. You should follow them and you should not follow any other teacher. What is your idea? And the Buddha said, don't believe in anything. Don't uh, hurry to believe in anything, even if that has been uh, written in the Holy Scriptures. Don't hurry to believe in anything just because uh, a very famous teacher has just uh, said it. Don't believe in anything just because the majority has uh, agreed that it is the truth. Anything people say in purpose, you should uh, test it with your own experience before you accept or you reject. And what the Buddha said is truly scientific. Buddhism may not be able and may not be described as a science, but it has the scientific uh, spirit. In the scientific circles, you are a scientist, and after some time uh, looking deeply, doing a lot of experiences, you discover something. And, and having discovered something, you have to publicize, publish, you have to publish what you have discovered. Because you believe that you have uh, touched the truth, the scientific truth. And then after you have published what you have found out in a scientific science magazine, other people will look at it. And there will be a very small number of uh, specialists on your field that will tell whether your finding is the truth or not the truth. And in order to do that, they have to go testing by themselves. They, they just cannot say that, well, you have said the truth, no. Because they are specialists on the field, they know that they have to prove it by their own uh, experimentation. And the large majority, we, not specialists on the field, we believe only because we have no means to test in order to testify that it is the truth. We have to believe in a very small handful of scientists in the field. And in the, in the domain of science, there is a lot of belief. We believe because uh, the specialists have said so because we have not tested that by ourselves.
And even so, after having test, been testified as the truth, uh, 10 years later or 20 years later, uh, a new truth can be found to be higher, to be deeper, to be truer than the truth. And again, there will be a number, a handful, number of spiritualists who try uh, to to say that, to approve, and then we, the majority, we just follow. We behave like religious people, even in the domain of science. What about the practice of Buddhism? In Buddhism, the object of our studies is the mind linking with suffering and happiness. We are not so concerned with the table and with the cloud, with the atoms, with the stars, but we are concerned about suffering and happiness. And we do not do like uh, philosophers. We do not speculate about happiness and suffering. We want to really observe our our suffering, observe our happiness. We want to work it out. We want to liberate ourselves from suffering. We want to bring in true happiness. And that's a real work. That cannot be done just by talking. And when you sit down, you follow your breath, you generate the energy of mindfulness and concentration. You have your instruments to work with. You can recognize your suffering. You can embrace your suffering. You can bring in the kind of wisdom that can help disintegrate the suffering. So you do it in the spirit of uh, empiricism. You really go into it. You do not speak about it. Because suffering is reality. And you recognize it. You go into it. You analyze it. You use the, the mindfulness concentration inside in order to transform it. It is like a scientist using his or her instruments in order to, to look deeply into, into the nature of what is there. And after having found out something, after having discovered a method of uh, transformation and healing, you might like to share it with your students or with your friends. And then there are good practitioners who have more or less the same kind of experiences. They try to, to, to verify they try to 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 to, uh, to experiment the same kind of thing, and if uh, they succeed, they will say, "Well, what use? When you just told us this too, I have experimented that by myself. I have, I have gone through the same kind of experience, and many people around us just believe." So. The difference between science and Buddhism is not that, that big. There are many of us who believe there's a, just a handful of us can testify truly to, to the truth that has been discovered. 
Buddhism sometimes describes the mind, sometimes describes uh, the world. But that description is not for the sake of description. That description is for the sake of the practice. If you learn about the mind, that is because you want to practice well. It's not because you want to have a beautiful doctrine about the mind. You speak about uh, impermanence, announcer. That's not for the sake of describing reality as impermanent announcer. That is an instrument to help you to liberate. Because the truth of impermanence and non-self can help you to overcome your despair, your fear, and so on. So there is a difference. And when the scientist studies the particle, he has to use uh, the instruments, accelerators. He has to use his mind also. But most of the time, they stand outside of the particle. They stand outside as an observer. And the particle becomes the object of observation. observation. But in the experimentation of Buddhist practitioners, you don't stand outside as an observer. You cannot afford to be an observer. You have to become a participant. Because that block of suffering is not the object of your, of your observation. It is you. You are that block of suffering. And that is why in the Sutra of the Four Foundation of Mindfulness, the Buddha always said, contemplation of the body in the body. Contemplation of the feeling in the feeling. You cannot afford to be an observer standing outside. You have to become one with the object you observe. That is the difference between science and Buddhism. And modern scientists begin to see that. The British um, physicist uh, David Bohm said that in order to really understand the atom, the neutron, you should stop being an observer. You should begin to be a participant, very close, very close to the discipline of uh, meditation. The political left, they believe in science. They believe in liberalism. They believe in the reason. They are fighting with them all the might against uh, fundamentalism, dogmatism. But they still suffer a lot. They don't have enough strength. Politically speaking, they have lost 
the election. Because they are for science, true science. They are true they are truly for freedom of thinking. They are anti-dogmatism, yes. But they still they don't have enough. They have not been able to bring in a spiritual dimension to their life. Is it possible to have a spiritual dimension to our daily life, political, economic life, without being caught in fundamentalism? The Buddha proved that he is a liberal. He is very liberal, but he is deeply spiritual. And that is why, speaking of... uh, biological evolution. You have to begin to think about cultural evolution. A spiritual evolution that has the power to liberate to liberate us from dogmas, from dogmatism, from fundamentalism. And the question is, uh, how science and meditation can hold the hand of each other in order to go ahead. For the future, for our liberation, this is uh, a question of our time. Next year, we shall have uh, a retreat on uh, mind and neuroscience. And we have a chance in order to uh, to go uh, into this problem. Buddhism sometimes appears like a religion, but it's not truly religion. Sometimes it appears like a science, but it's not a science. Because uh, we are concerned with uh, the ultimate. We like to ask questions. But we also want to transform, to heal. And there's a lot of... Uh, is uh, within Buddhism a tremendous source of wisdom. And um, 
experiences handed down by the Buddha and many generations of practitioners. We can learn a lot from the experiences. So that we can, in our turn, heal ourselves, transform ourselves, and help heal and transform the world. And uh, during this winter retreat, uh, learning about uh, the Buddha body and the Sangha body, you have chance in order to go uh, into these matters as well. After a um, few minutes of uh, break, we shall do work and meditation together.